Grab your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Habakkuk. We're going to read the first 11 verses. At the very end of this book, chapter 3, it says, To the choir master with stringed instruments. This is a song. And as we read here, you're going to go, wow. Okay, probably wasn't in the top 40, but um, it's a bit of a sad song in the beginning, but there's great, great things here. So let's read. We're going to read 1 through 11 today. So the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar, and they fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So we're going to spend the next five weeks walking through this Old Testament book. What we will see is, though it is written 2,600 years ago, think about that for a moment, written 2,600 years ago, we will find in these days that there is such great application to what we are seeing in particularly our American culture. What we hear from people in our culture thinking about God and what we even hear people within the church say. So these words came to life around 2,600 years ago as they came to the prophet Habakkuk. This little letter, it's three chapters, holds great promise and great hope, hope for today, great clarity of answers and direction to some of the really big things that we can struggle with as we look at our world and we look at who God is and try to reconcile the reality of that. So we will be able to identify in these days with the prophet at times. Why does God allow certain things to happen and take place? And the aim is this, is that we will learn to adjust our lives to what God's answers are in this. So Habakkuk is going to have some really big questions to God. He's going to question God's direction, God's sovereignty, and God's going to speak to him. It's an interesting dialogue, and we will see that he eventually, Habakkuk does, he knows that he must adjust his life to how God has answered that's always the case, right? Let's, let's, let me just remind us again of that. We're not asking God to adjust to our perspective. Our perspective has created the world in which we live in today. Man's views, man's power, man's answers to things do not bring about the will of God. God brings about His will. And when His people walk in the reality of that truth. And so as you and I look around at our culture today, our culture is very much like the one in which Habakkuk was living as this word from God came to him. His land was full of lies. Violence was everywhere. There was deep oppression, particularly of the poor. Uh, The rich were getting richer, and the poor were getting poorer, and they were continually being oppressed in a terrible way. There was a lack of truth that dominated Judah. So Habakkuk is going to speak. He's going to be a prophet to the southern kingdom. The kingdom has been divided. He's going to be one that speaks to the southern kingdom of Judah, though there are great implications as well, we will see here is um, for the northern kingdom. Everything around the temple life had fallen apart again. Those who lived in the land loved unrighteousness. That's the case. And those who loved uh, righteousness, they were the minority and they found themselves 
being mocked and ridiculed by the people around them. And so Habakkuk, in the midst of that, is called by God to carry a word to Judah. And yet as the prophet receives the word, he has a big question as he receives it. And he looks at the culture and he thinks about the future. He knows what Jeremiah has been communicating, what Jeremiah has already said in regard to Nebuchadnezzar coming and how God is going to use Babylon to bring judgment upon Judah. And as he begins to to look at his culture, he has a heart for his people, he loves God, he looks at the word that God gives him, this oracle that comes, and Habakkuk has a big question that comes, and it's this one. It's one that many people even ask still today. Is God sovereign, and is He in charge of history? Or is history just random acts of chaos And at times, random acts of goodness. Is God ultimately in charge of things or is man in charge? In all honesty, we have sometimes big questions and deep questions about events, about movements in history. We have just come out of two years of uniqueness that the world has never known with what happened with COVID and the direction connected to that and Sometimes there are questions to God and about God that even believers have and people today have um, that Habakkuk as well sought answers to. Questions like this. Why does evil exist? If God is loving, why so much tragedy and evil that's in the world? What kind of meaning are we to make of the arch of history? What kind of meaning do we make when we look at history and see the things that have happened and take place? Was God in charge back then where was man in charge and 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 what is God doing in the midst of that in some theological circles today in the craziness that times um, has infiltrated the evangelical church there are people who say this in some theological circles that God is just reacting all the time to what man has decided God's really not in charge of anything as a matter of fact Sometimes God is even surprised. He's not aware of the events that are going to come. And so that is literally taught. It's not true, but that's taught in some places. So we're going to see some of these type of questions. God's going to give direct answers. By the way, I'll just give you a heads up. Um, He's going to answer Habakkuk honestly. And he's not going to answer Habakkuk in the way that Habakkuk wants God to answer. And so I remind us, and we'll get there in a moment... God gets to answer our deep questions the way God wants to answer our deep questions. We don't get to tell Him how He is to answer the deep questions that we have. We want, we want Him to be honest, right? And then we must adjust to Him. So what He's wrestling with is this. I'll give you a preview. Is that already God has said that Babylon or the Babylonians or the Chaldeans are going to come... And God's going to use them to bring judgment upon Judah. Now we know from last week that Habakkuk grew up, was either born in or grew up in, under the reign of Josiah. It was an incredible reign where Josiah got rid of all of the idol worship. He had a God-centeredness to the nation. And so, so Habakkuk would have lived in that. And then Josiah dies in the 31st year of his reign. He lived 39 years. He reigned 31 years, and he dies. And there are four more kings that come after that, and they are bad kings. And everything that Josiah brought about into the land was awful in regard to what the kings did. They rejected everything that Josiah had done, and everything began to fall apart. And so now Habakkuk is living on the other side of all of those reforms, and he knows that what God has said is that a nation, an awful nation is going to come, they are bent on violence, and they are going to come and they are going to bring judgment. And so he's, he's wrestling with this reality about, I know who God is and I see my world today, and why is God going to use the Chaldeans to do this? Now God stays the judgment that's going to come upon Judah because of the response that Josiah had when he heard the reading of the word. So in each instance of question that Habakkuk will have, God has an answer for that. And I'll give you another preview. The Lord is in charge of all of history. And because of that, we can have great confidence today about things. And He will also be in charge of the future. God has always been in charge of things. 
He's in charge of the saved. He's in charge of what happens with the lost. It is whose world is it? His world, it is not ours. And so he is at work and he is doing things. So let me give you a little bit of background on Habakkuk. We don't know a whole lot about him. While Habakkuk had once known the incredible blessing of biblical and godly leadership under Josiah, long gone are those days by the time this oracle comes to him. As he looks around at the loss of what Josiah had brought, all of the reforms and everything that was happening again, they began to have the, the feasts and the, and, and, and the reading of the word and the teaching of the word and, and worship became central in the land of Judah again, but all of that is gone. And he looks at the new condition in Judah and he has a deep burden for the land. And yet at the same time, it seems as if now that things have fallen apart, that God seems to not be interested at all in what is now transpiring in the world. Is God delaying and how long is God going to delay the judgment that's going to come that was inevitable after he said that he would not do it under Josiah's reign? Now that it's here, when is it going to come and what is going to happen? How could God, his question is, let things get so bad again? And with all of that, I commend him and that he goes to the Lord with his questions. We should always do that. When we have deep questions, we should go to the Lord and this is what he does. So he's aiming to come to grips with it all and he's struggling with it. Matter of fact, that's what his name means. So if you are taking notes today, his name means, Habakkuk means wrestler or embracer or clinger. He is one, in light of that, we look at that, he's one who wrestled with God over deep questions and important, serious questions that challenged his faith. And yet in the midst of that, he will embrace God. God also embraces Habakkuk to give him this word to speak to the nation, to prepare them. And so he also embraces the call in that, and he embraces his people, wanting them to know the truth of what God is going to do. So he is embracing the land that he loves. He is embracing God, and he will eventually, as he, even though he's wrestling with it, he will embrace the sovereign will of God. And he will take some time for him to get there, but he will get there based and, gra- and grounded in the words that God speaks to him. So as I said a while ago, this was likely a song. You read the lyrics a while ago, a little bit different song. Um, and, but it was one that they would have sung. It, it, they, they would have, just as we do, we memorize things when we sing. This would have been a word that they would, in time, would memorize as they sang this. Habakkuk is a contemporary of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and even Daniel. So one last thing before we begin to walk through the text. It's hard to fully ascertain when the book was written. Um, It's about 2,600 years ago. We know within probably a 25-year window of when um, it it was written. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is the leader of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, and they are in power. So sometime after the fall of Assyria or Nineveh, between 612 B.C., In 587 B.C., which is when Jerusalem fell, somewhere in between that is when Habakkuk's ministry was. And and, uh, he probably would have been an older man at this time as he begins to speak to the people. So let's talk now, secondly, this morning, a little bit of background. I want to talk about living with the burden of a call. Are you burdened about what's all around us in our culture? Y'all burdened? This, this means yes? Yeah. Many of us pray. Many of us at night and during the day and in the morning, we are praying for God to awaken God's people and we look at the tragedy that is all around us in our culture and we are deeply burdened. And in the midst of that, there is a call upon our lives to live for the truth and to live for the glory of God and to speak the truth to others. Now Habakkuk has a unique role in that he is a prophet and he's going to be called of God and by God to speak this message to the two tribes that, are, that make up the southern kingdom called Judah. So he would write what he saw. Look at verse 1 again. This is an oracle 
that Habakkuk the prophet saw. The call of God upon his life is that he, God gave him a vision of what was going to happen and he was to write it down and then he was to tell it to the people. It was going to be put to music to the people so that they would know exactly what God was doing in the land. At times in our lives, God stirs up our heart. And He stirs up our heart as He did with Habakkuk to see that there is a longing for the the better welfare of the people in which we live among. That they would come to know God. That God would awaken His people and that God would bring repentance in the midst of His people. And so God stirs the heart of Habakkuk. And He stirs the heart of him for God and for the spiritual condition of His people. And when God stirs us, He stirs us toward a zealousness for the glory of who He is and for a deep concern for the lostness that is around us. This word in verse 1 there that says oracle, I'm not sure what your translation may say. The ESV says oracle is from a Hebrew word called masa, M-A-S-S-A. It comes from another Hebrew word called nasa, N-A-S-A. And it means this, it means to lift something up that is so heavy that it is difficult to carry the load. When the word literally means this, to be given a message and given a message in such a way that it's a difficult one to carry in your life and to speak it and to live it out toward other people. So one day, under, under which king we're not for sure, But one of the bad kings after Josiah, this oracle comes to him. God tells him, this is what I'm going to do. And he has this vision. God shows it with him, to him. So he begins to write it down. And as he begins to write it down, he feels the heaviness of the burden that God has entrusted him with to speak to the people. So this word has the idea of carrying a burdensome message. He would carry have this burden to carry the word of God as God's prophet to the people. Back in the day, prophets carried a heavy load from the Lord. The things that they saw, the things that they heard, they weighed heavy upon their lives. Many of them that you will remember, Jesus in the New Testament says, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets. Often the prophets were lonely. They didn't make it through all of their ministry. It wasn't a calling of comfort that came upon them. And so they received the oracles of God. And Habakkuk gets this when it comes directly to him. And he is to write it down and he is to share it. Not as he wants to, but as God gives it to him and as he sees it. There's a New Testament principle there that we practice here at LifePoint. And that's this. My job, my responsibility... Mark or whoever else stands up here, a life group leader, a youth group um, our encounter leader, we are to um, really ultimately do one thing. God has already spoken. He has already given us what we are to say, what we are to ground our life in. So each week, it's really simple. What are we going to do next week when we come together? Well, we're going to do what God has already said, just the next section. What happened in Habakkuk's day, and it was going on, there were a lot of false prophets that were just making up their own visions and and things that they were saying God was saying, and it was not true, and it was not the case. But a true prophet of God, a true minister of God in, in the New Testament age, just takes what God has said and proclaims it and walks through it and teaches it. So this burden was strong upon Habakkuk's life. And he didn't want to be a Jonah. They would already should have learned the lesson. What did Jonah do as a prophet? God came and gave him what he was supposed to do. And Jonah's like, I don't want to do that. By the way, Jonah goes to what people? The Chaldean people, the Babylonian people. To the city of Nineveh, in which this group now, in Habakkuk's day, is going to come and is going to bring the judgment upon Judah. Jeremiah wrote in his Lamentations about the false prophets. Listen to this verse. This is Lamentations 2.14. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false 
and misleading. The great role of the church is to teach the truth of God's word and proclaim it faithfully as it has come to us. Not to come in year 2022 to say, no, we're smarter than God was 2,600 years ago and we need to reinvent and reinterpret, add on to what God has already said. By the way, that is happening in this country right now all over in many churches, just a reinterpreting and, and rejecting what God has already said. And so we're, we can't do that. So this oracle comes to Habakkuk, and though it is heavy, he must tell it as it comes to him. Three reasons, if you're taking notes, why we must feel the burden of the importance of walking through right doctrine and theology in Scripture. And we learned this from Habakkuk. The first thing was this. Habakkuk felt the weight of this to carry this message because the word of God's weight, literally the word of God's weight, is heavy. So it comes to him. It comes directly from God to the prophet. He feels the weight of this knowing that he's got to go share this with the nation. God's word is deep. God's word is eternal. God's word is significant. It is never dull. It is never light. It is never inconsequential. God's word is everything. And so as the word came to the prophets, it always came with great weight and a heaviness with eternal truth that they were to communicate to the people. Very few felt the weight of this and very few were called to be Old Testament prophets to carry the burden of the word of God to the people. I feel this weight every Sunday when I get up here. I feel the weight and the heaviness that I must be accurate as best I can to what has come here. That this doesn't need to be a sermon that is, is full of doke. It needs to be a sermon that's full of what's already been said, which is who God is. What His will is for us. Is God consistently saying this to us in multiple places? And then ultimately, as we, as we walk through this mindset that we have here in the W4, how do, we, how do we walk in light of who God is and what His will is and how God is communicating the same things over and over? How do we live this out? Because we must, we must do that. And so the prophets felt the weight of that. I feel it. You must feel it. We should never come in here on a Sunday morning. And if you've grown up in church, you can easily do this. Yeah, I just go, that guy up there is going to talk. And then I'm going to go eat. And then there's football today. And then that's it. We should feel the weight this morning that God spoke these words 2,600 years ago. And He has preserved them for who? For us. For us to feel the weight of them today and to learn the principles there. So the Old Testament prophets carried a burden. We should carry the burden as well in regard to faithfully making sure that the word is taught correctly and that we live it out because of the word of God's weight. Secondly, they felt this thing because the word of God would be rejected. So when this message came to Habakkuk that he was now to go to tell to the people, he knew that it was not going to be embraced by everybody around him. He was going to be rejected. He would be mocked that he was saying some of the things that he was saying. It even placed more weight on the message, knowing that he would go into villages and cities in Jerusalem. He would proclaim this and people would go, whatever, not interested. Can you go to the next city? Don't want to hear what you have to say at all. So what happened was the prophets were a great voice of reason in the midst of a corrupt culture or sometimes their words were seen as a great nuisance to those who were hearing it because they didn't want to hear any of it anymore. It's the same thing the Apostle, writes, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15. He's speaking about believers and he says this to the church in Corinth in this letter. He says, sometimes we are the aroma of Jesus to those who are believers and it smells good. But to those who don't want to hear anything about God's word and the truth of Jesus, we are the smell of death. In other words, it, it speaks of judgment and that life is wrong if it's not walked with God. And so, so it's the same idea. Sometimes 
The prophets were a great voice of reason. Some, sometimes uh, ministers today are great voices of reason, and then sometimes they are voices of great nuisance to people who do not want to hear the truth. So the burden comes to Habakkuk because he feels the weight of the Word of God that has come to him. He feels the weight of it because he knows that his message is going to be rejected. And thirdly, it's going to be heavy because it's a word of judgment that he is going to preach. He loved Judah. They were his people. And he's brokenhearted over what has now come into the land. And he knew God spoke the truth and that God would follow through on his word. He would have known that God had for a while held off his judgment because of Josiah's great love for God's word when he heard it and he responded the way he did. But he knew that eventually God would follow through on his word. So we are to live with the burden of this call. Now I want to walk through and let's talk about his grievances with God. Everybody okay? So let's be honest here as we walk through his grievances. If you're there this morning and you have some of these toward God or you've had them or you know someone who has some of these, listen well and learn because we'll see God's response. As he looked at the land of Judah, he knew what his eyes beheld. Judah was in deep trouble spiritually. He knew the truth. He knew the spiritual condition of the land in which he lived. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he cried out and he cried out and he cried out for God to do something about it. Every one of us in this room, if you've walked with God for a while, you have a burden that you carry about something spiritually. I mean, you're deeply burdened about that and it consumes you at times and brings you to tears. It forces us to our knees. And we pray and we pray and, and, and we ask God to do something about it. And so we know about this. Sometimes our, our prayers have a more, in, they're more intense. There's a, a more focus connected to them. And so as the call comes to Habakkuk and he sees what God's going to do, he hears what God is going to do and he begins to speak it. He begins to write it. It's set to music so that people would know it and would become a part of their lives. He looks at Judah and the word that comes to him. He has three troubling questions that he wants God to answer. And so he goes to God. He will respond, by the way, in the right direction. I encourage us, if you have deep questions to God about what God's doing, go to God. Go to Him. He's not afraid of our questions, but I also will say this. Be very careful when you go to him with your questions that we are not charging God with doing wrong. Go to him honestly. Lay the questions before him. Plead before him. Cry before him. But be careful. Habakkuk goes in the right direction, but he doesn't have fully the right heart about things. And so God has to speak to him in a strong way to adjust him. He's a little bit like Job. You ever read the last aspect of Job where God says, sit down, brother, put your seatbelt on. I've got some things to say to you. Where were you, Job, when I created a place where I store the snow that's going to fall upon the earth? And he just goes through a number of things with Job and God's going to kind of do that with Habakkuk. Here's the first issue that Habakkuk has toward God. Look in verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? So here's his first issue and I think we have it up here on the screen. His first issue with God is he thinks God is indifferent to his prayers. God, do you not notice me down here? You've given me this oracle and I have been praying to you. I have been crying out to you. I've literally cried literal tears crying out to you to do something. And I'm going in the right direction. I'm going to you. But you don't seem to be doing anything about what I'm crying out to you. God, are you hearing me? 
I'm calling out for the salvation and the rescue of my children. And they are continuing to walk away from you. And God, I'm praying night. I'm praying during the day. I'm praying when I'm driving in my car that God, you would intervene in my kids' lives. And God, are you hearing me plead with you about this? God, are you hearing me as my spouse just is uninterested in walking with you and being uninterested in leading the family to be in church and on and on. We have a lot of things that we can go to God and say, God, I'm crying out to you from a pure heart that is in line with your word and I'm being honest with you and it just seems like you have no care to hear the heaviness that's on my heart. Habakkuk looks around and just like, there's violence in the streets. There is rape. There's an immoral government that is leading Judah. God, and I'm crying out to you, violence. I looked this week because I knew I was going to preach on this text. The violence in this country is absolutely out of control. Just out of control. And I know many of you are like me and and we're praying about these things, that God would intervene. And I would encourage you to continue to cry out to Him. Do you know that, that God answers prayer, right? He does this. And so when these deep burdens come upon us about whatever it is that's in the culture, we want to cry out to God and to be honest, but to do so by not charging Him with inactivity. Here's His two big wrestlings. What He saw everywhere in Judah and what He knew to be true of God. And He's having a hard time reconciling those. And let's be honest, sometimes it's hard to reconcile those. So He sees everything that's in the streets, everything that's in Judah, everything that's in the villages, everything that's being taught, the the governance The leadership, the king, is horrible. Nothing is good. Laws are being made that just make no sense. They're not connected to righteousness. And he's crying out to God, God, do something about this. And yet, he's wrestling because he knows what's true about God's character. And as he cries out, he just feels as if God is not doing anything. He looks around and he sees innocent people are being destroyed by wickedness under cruel and godless leadership. There was great social unrest in Judah. There was a tremendous amount of political upheaval. Kings were being murdered and plotted against. And Habakkuk is crying out to God to do something about that. And it seems to him as if God has quit listening and answering prayer. Does God care about the sin and the human suffering that filled the land? And I just want to reiterate this again to us. Cry out to God. The psalmist said this in Psalm 142, verse 1 and 2. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. Go to Him. Go to Him and cry out to Him. So that's the first thing. He felt God was being indifferent to his prayers. Here's the second issue. He looked around and thought, God, you're just inactive right now. You're not doing anything. He looked and saw the inactivity of God at the evil in the land, or at least what he thought was God's inactivity. Look at verse 3 now. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you, God, idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. He has two questions this time. First first grievance, he just has one question. Second grievance, he has two questions. God, why, why are you allowing me? Why do I have to see this every day? And God, knowing that you're holy, why are you looking at this? And not doing anything about it. That's his, that's his wrestle in the moment Right here, he's really struggling with this one. Lord, you know what I'm seeing. Are you seeing the same thing that I'm seeing? 
And are you just going to idly sit by and watch? There's a transition that happens here from the first complaint to the second. It shifts from discouragement of what he sees in the land to now his discouragement at God and doubting God for not moving in the midst of sin. His language in verse 3, here's two things that I hear all the time in our culture. One is this. God has the power to move and doesn't. Or God doesn't have the power, so therefore He can't move and He can't do anything. Both of those are not correct. By the way, God can move and God is moving and He's about to tell Habakkuk what He's doing. Here's some whys that are spoken today. Why do you allow false teachers to harm the church? You ever, you ever look at crazy Christianity that's out there and just go, God, why, are you, why do you allow that to continue to be preached? God, what are you doing? Why do these books and seminars continue to have people paying all kinds of money to them and to go sit under that kind of false teaching? Second one, why don't you do something about poverty, God? Why are children abused and trafficked? And some people say, God, you don't do anything about that. God, why don't you move when your name is blasphemed? And why have you not answered my prayer about my children, about my spouse, about my finances, and about my health? Everywhere he looked, he just saw trouble and heartache, and he knew the character of God, and he's wondering, God, why aren't you doing anything about this? Nothing seemed right in his eyes. Probably some of his feeling echoed back to what he felt under Josiah's reign. Why can't we go back to then? You hear that today? Why can't we go back when, when in America things were like it was then? The problem with life is what? You can't do what? You can't go back. Could it be that God is calling you and I in this generation at this time in our nation's history to be the kind of people who walk in truth and obedience and to be the examples of what it looks like to know the glory of God and to be the lights on a hill that shine for His glory as we walk in the midst of a dark culture? Here's the third burden or grievance that he had. He saw that there was injustice that permeated the land. Look at verse 4. So he says, So the law is paralyzed, God. Injustice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. The word paralyzed literally means this, frozen, stuck, cold. He looked around and he thought, God, under Josiah, we preached your word. We taught your word. It infiltrated every aspect of Judah. Now it's gone. It's like the law is not alive. The word is not alive. It's just kind of stuck. He said it just seemed like sin and iniquity caused, caused this lifelessness and this deadening and this desensitizing of the word of God in life. And as he looked around, he saw that nobody really cared about God's word anymore. And so he's like, why does God not even care about that? And you hear people talk about the weakness of the church in general. Why doesn't he move and wake up the American church? God, why don't you care about your bride? The law had authority, obviously. Truth brings freedom. Truth brings life. So why wasn't God concerned about that? I'm going to stop right here for a minute. And then we're going to look at God's answer. If these thing, kind of things are heavy on your heart, about your kids, about your spice, your spice, okay, maybe you have a problem with your spice, I don't know, um, your spouse or anything else, there's one, there's one honest thing that we can learn from Habakkuk here. He took his grievances in the right direction. But do you see that there's some aspects of his heart that aren't right? He's questioning God as not doing good. 
So we have to be really careful about that. Some of us have been praying for years and decades, have we not? For God to do something about a family member, a situation, health. And if we were honest, we, we feel that our prayer, and most likely it is, is lined up with what God's Word teaches. And yet, we've been waiting and we've been waiting and we've been waiting and continuing to cry out. I want to make this clear before we move on to God's answers. God is not being silent. He's not. God is never inactive. He is the most moving person on the planet and in the universe. God is ever at work. God is ever moving. God is ever speaking. He speaks to hearts. He speaks from His Word. So He's not, he's not doing that. Here's our great wrestling. Is that we want Him to move when? Now. And I believe that what God was doing then, and maybe what God is doing now, in our lives in this generation, is carrying us through a refiner's fire. There's a burning. There's a cutting. There's a shaping. There's a refining that's there that when we come through this, there's a God-likeness and Christ-likeness that we have never known before. And so Habakkuk's going to get there. When we get to the end of chapter 3, it is beautiful as he talks about that God places our feet on firm foundation. So God's going to answer him. And he's going to give some answers. So let's look at that just for a moment. In 5 through 11, God's going to give answers. We already read it a while ago, but let me just make a few comments. And then we're going to see what God has to say here. Sometimes, hear this, we go to God with honesty, pouring our heart out before him. And he answers back in a way that we're not ready for. So Habakkuk has been praying. He's been crying out to God. He's been praying. He's been crying out to God. And we don't know how long he's been doing this. We get the sense that probably for quite a while now. He's crying out, crying out, continuing to see things. It doesn't seem like God's listening. It doesn't seem like God is moving and doing anything. Crying out, crying out, crying out to God. It doesn't seem like God's listening still and then God's going to speak and God's going to tell him, yeah, I hear you, but I'm going to answer you in a way that you're not really ready for, but you need to embrace what I'm about to tell you. And here's how God answers him. Look at verse 5. Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. So God says this, listen, I'm, I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to answer your questions and I'm going to answer you in the way in which I want to answer you. And here's how I want to answer you. I am in charge of everything, Habakkuk. You look around and you think that everything is chaos. Everything's out of control. I'm not listening. I'm not interested. I'm not moving. And I want you to know, I want you to look at the nations and I want you to see that I am literally doing something. I am at work and look and see what I am doing in the nations. And the, what he's going to do is, is he's going to bring judgment. And what he's going to do is he's going to raise up an army that has come to power and he's going to bring them and he's going to take Judah through a refining process that's going to take 70 years. And they're going to learn things being taken away in exile and captivity and they will return and for a while there, they get things right again, but God's going to refine them. Judah had an opportunity to repent. It wasn't going to mean that God was not going to bring the judgment. But here, here's an answer. And I, I've had people literally tell me this over the last couple of years. They've come and they've, they've had questions about why God is not doing something, why things have been allowed, and, and they have a lot of questions about God. And I I always go back to, well, God is in charge. And like, well, it doesn't look like God's in charge. And God's sovereignty is not a cop-out for me. 
God's sovereignty is the very bedrock of our faith. Listen, why? If he's not in charge, who is? And if there's a who is in charge that's not God, we are in the deepest kind of trouble. And so the bedrock of my faith rests in this, that my God is Lord of all. And I sometimes look around like you and, and I, want it, I, I want him to do something now. But we must learn from Habakkuk that God moves in a different timetable than our timetable. And he's not being inactive. And I need us to hear this. The last two years, and particularly that first year, 2020 into 2021, and and all of that stuff that we all experienced, and we had to, and it was global. Do not think for a moment that God was not at work. That he was not using 2020 and 2021 to move things to his purposes. And here's why I know this. I have read this. Have you read this? And this is what God does. Go all the way back to Genesis from the fall of man. And before the fall of man, God created all of this. Man messed it up by rejecting God. Sin entered the world. People began to be born in sin. They messed the world up. And you look and you read the arts of history. And God has always been involved. God has always been active doing things. There came a time when the church needed reformation deeply. Roman Catholicism had taken over Europe and it made a mess of things. Such abuses happened and took place and God began to raise up people in what we know as the Reformation to speak the truth and to live the truth and to call the people of God back to walking in the truth. And it took a long time in all of that chaos and all of that stuff that was happening, God was at work. Now, I don't have a word from God today. Um, You would need to question my sanity if I told you God told me everything that he was doing the last two years. I don't know. I just know this. That Habakkuk comes to know this, and we must come to know this. God is always at work. He is always at work. So God tells them there, I'm sovereign over the nations, and I'm going to show you, Habakkuk, how unique this is. Because I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. Verse 6. They're a bitter and hasty nation. They march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings of their own. I want to remind you and I of what I just said. I'm going to to beat it into the ground this morning. God is in charge of the world. Isaiah 40 verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Isaiah 40 verse 17. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Isaiah 40 verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and he spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and he makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Daniel 2.21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Listen to me today. We have an election coming up. In November, we had an election two, two years ago. We had another election four years ago. We will have more elections unless Jesus comes back. And I want to remind you and I this morning of this. God is in charge of everything and nothing happens by accident. So Trump was president because God wanted him to be president. Biden is president because God sets up kings and he takes down kings. And he will continue to do it. 
So the call for us is we adjust. We adjust. We don't charge him as if somehow he didn't know what was going on. Either, either reign that you liked or disliked. There is one who reigns. And he is in charge of the nations. Are y'all with me? We adjust to that truth. And God may in the days ahead, you know, China owns a lot of American land and businesses and ports. We don't know what the future holds. And I'm not making a prediction. Don't go home and say this and get me in trouble. But I want you to hear this. If God will raise up the Chaldeans to bring judgment upon His covenant people, do you think He cannot raise up someone to bring judgment upon our country? We need to be wise. That is why it's important that the remnant of God walks in obedience with God. So God's instrument is revealed. Listen, I'm in charge of the nations. Habakkuk, I'm going to... These Chaldean people, the Babylonian people, under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, they are just marching forth. When the scripture says there a while ago, it says they face forward always. The Babylonians never retreated. They just faced forward, marched forward, taking up the land, capturing people, laughing at kings, mocking kings. Matter of fact, Jeremiah had already predicted this. We're going to finish up now. Um, Jeremiah 25, 8, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord. And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, listen how God, listen to this, listen how God describes the Chaldean king who's marching, capturing cities, not just Judah, but other nations. Listen how God describes Nebuchadnezzar. And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. That's what God calls Nebuchadnezzar. He's my servant. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. And I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. What God says there is this. I'm going to use them for a brief period of time to bring judgment upon my people. But you need to know this, my people. I'm going to bring judgment on the Babylonians. I will bring judgment upon them. And we could read on a little bit further there. Um, the invader and their instrument that's there. They just were they're horrible. I mean, just horrible, horrible people in what they did. I want to share one more thing here. I want to give some closing principles. As Habakkuk hears what God's going to do with the Chaldeans, it struck fear in his heart, do you think? Yeah. He's like, whoa. Yeah, this is not the way I thought God was going to answer my questions. It moved Habakkuk. Listen, it didn't move anybody else. They didn't repent. They still refused to not listen to the Lord. They heard the words of God through Habakkuk and thought, no real danger here. Habakkuk doesn't know what he's saying. Jeremiah doesn't know what he's really talking about. God is not going to destroy his holy city. Are you kidding me? He's not going to do that. And the people looked at the prophets of those who were just doomsayers and ever negative. And I want you to hear this principle, and we're going to give some, some last things. Listen to this, church. Life point, hear my heart this morning. Hear what's here in the text. Listen to this principle. So no doubt the prophets were communicating. This is what God's going to do. And the people are like, whatever. It's not going to come. We just read through Amos and, and uh, some other prophets in the W4 this year. And they were speaking truth and they just continued to do what they were doing. And eventually God came in and He used the Assyrians to scoop up the ten tribes and scatter them among the nations. And they were gone. And it came true what the prophets were saying. And here's one of the things that God's people must understand and it's critical for us in our day and time in 2022. And it's this. One of the signs that God's people are not in the right place spiritually is their disinterest 
in the harder truths of the faith. And that was Judah and that was Israel, the northern kingdom. This was the pattern. Prophets, come down. You know what they told Amos? He was a prophet from the south who came to the north to tell the north what God was going to do through the Assyrians. They told him, go back home to Judah and earn your bread there. We don't want to hear what you have to say. One of the things I love about LifePoint is that you put up with me. And I think you still love me even though at times I tell you hard truths that I think the scripture teaches. Because if God's people get to a place where they are not interested in the hard truths, then God's people have lost their way. There are two churches in our city. Do you know what they did this past summer? On Sunday morning, they spent the summer showing movie clips and finding a scripture in the Bible and applying to that, and that's what they did on Sunday morning. We all need the glorious, uplifting truths, and then at times we need the hard truths to shake us to our core. Let me close with this. God is in control still of everything. His ways are going to continue to be perplexing at times. But there's a great truth to hang on to, and it's this. If He is in control of history, then He is in control of our lives. God is still in control of everything. By the way, look around the room. You're alive. We made it through 2020 and 2021. Indicating what? God's goodness to us. To be used by Him in our culture, raising up our families to know Him. Secondly, practical thing, we will understand better or best, better, and what the right word there is, I wrestle with that, what God is doing when we know His Word. If you don't know His Word, you you don't know the, the history of the church and the history of what God did, with His people, the overarching aspect of history, then you're not going to know what He could be doing now. We learn great principles from the past to know what God possibly is up to that's in line with what is already there in the text that He's done with His people throughout history. The Word brings clarity to culture. Listen, this is the problem with those two churches. Culture never brings clarity to truth. Truth brings clarity to culture. And so that's why we preach it. Thirdly, we should, as His people, embrace the burden of righteousness for the world. Habakkuk was bound by the truth to be burdened by the sin that was around him and that surrounded the righteous. And he was even mocked for loving the truth. They were being mocked for the truth. We must be Jesus-bound people who carry the burden of faith regardless of what may come. Fourth practical thing from the first part of Habakkuk 1, take our questions directly to God. And as we take them to God, maintain faith. Don't charge God with doing wrong. He is good. He is good. He is good. He is good. Not all things that happen are good. This is the reality of living in a broken world that's full of sin. Not everything will be good, but God will always be what? good. Lastly, faith is a journey that's full of blessings and bumps. Faith is a journey that's full of blessings and bumps. Judah's about to go through a big time bump. Seventy years they will be gone. Originally under the Babylonians, then the Persians come to power They take over. Many of them are taken to Persia. 
And then they began to return to rebuild things. Faith is a journey. It's full of bumps and blessings. And so we have to maintain our faith. We have to maintain our faith. It's good stuff from God's word. Let's pray.